Open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. We just sang a song about Moses. Is Moses in Hebrews 11? We just sang about Israel going through the Red Sea. Is Israel going through the Red Sea in Hebrews 11? We read about David. Is he in Hebrews 11? We read about Daniel. Is he in Hebrews 11? Mentioned by name? Stop the mouths of lions. You know, we often relegate the stories of Moses, Israel, David, and Daniel to children's stories. I wonder why the Apostle Paul, by the inspiration of God, would put a whole chapter of summarized versions of those stories in the New Testament. And one of his most logical presentations, the book of Hebrews. We have Hebrews chapter 11 with all those different stories tied together for us to build our faith. If we are to have a successful life and die successfully, you all will die. And so will I. It depends on faith. Faith will see us through life and faith will see us through death. I wish that I could take away all the folly of youth while you sit there and think about stupid things like the games that you play, but I can't. Because you're too stupid for your parents or me to teach you wisdom. But by the grace of God, you are so convinced in your heart that you have forever to live. You are so convinced that death is so far away you can ignore it. But it's coming, and we want to live by faith, and we want to die by faith. And we're going to see both in Hebrews chapter 11. Last Sunday we looked at Romans 4, verses 17 through 21. I told you that was my favorite explanation of faith in that Abraham did not consider all the objections that flew up in his mind as to why God's Word might not come to pass. He just ignored it. And if people say that is simplistic, I'll say amen and thank you. If they say that's childlike, I'll say amen and thank you. Because I want to be holding to the simplicity of the Gospel and I want to have the faith of a child when it trusts what God our Father has told us. And if they say, that's reasoning in a circle, I'll say, thank you. At least I'm reasoning in a circle from what God said and you're reasoning in a circle from what some monkey told you. I'll reason in a circle all day if I'm reasoning out of the Bible. Everyone has a presupposition, and their presupposition is there was nothing, and nothing made something. They've never seen it duplicated. They never saw it happen the first time, but they reason from that. They reason from Charles Darwin, a dysfunctional rebel, who wrote a book that he imagined described how all these creatures got on earth. It's amazing that they would believe that book and not believe this book. Faith. Oh, brethren, we want to live by it, we want to love it, and we want to use Hebrews chapter 11 to encourage us this morning. This is very simple, but is your faith as strong as it should be? Is your faith ready for any obstacle? Is your faith ready for a car accident? Is your faith ready for death? Is your faith ready for a disobedient child? 
Is your faith ready for financial setbacks? Is your faith ready for God taking longer than you thought He should take in answering your prayers? Is your faith strong enough to oppose everyone and anyone if they went against the Word of God? Is your faith strong enough that you could give up all the baubles and pleasures of this world simply for a belief that heaven is coming and to please God, you should give up everything in this life? Faith strong enough for that? We're going to see all those and more. In Hebrews chapter 11. Faith only knows one direction forward. Faith only knows one spirit. Joyful confidence in God. That doesn't mean that God's great heroes are sometimes weak. Because they are. And there's comfort in Hebrews 11 for our weak faith, brethren. There's comfort for us in this chapter. Faith takes God's promises... And turns them into definite reality. Our hope for the future is based on God's promises. We find this in the first verse. Where we have a great definition of faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Those of us who are dying. We hope that there's a heaven one nanosecond after death. We hope that based on a promise of God. And our faith turns that promise on which our hope is built into reality. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. We hope for heaven because God said there was one and that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord and that gives us hope and it gives us substance of heaven. We've never seen heaven. We've never met anyone that had been to heaven and come back to tell us about it. But God said it's there and so we have the reality and substance of it. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Do you believe that? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. Do you believe that? Believest thou this? Lay hold of that by faith. God said it, brethren. And there's a God in heaven that caused that sun to rise this morning. 93 million miles away that lightens our room and brightens our day and warms our flesh. And that God said those things and we believe it. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. He's going to ask for one great last gasp of faith when it comes time to die. Do we believe what God has said? Amen. And we're going to believe as we step through that curtain into His glorious presence. And I want to tell you something. He will be there every second of the way with you to hold your hand. And underneath will be the everlasting arms. And their arms like you've never imagined before. And they will see you safely into His presence. And they will help your faith when it is weak. Just reach out and take His hand. Faith takes God's promises and turns them into definite reality for the basis of our hope. That's what it means when it says faith is the substance of things hoped for. God has given us promises that are the basis of our hope and our faith makes them real. Because our faith says, if God said it, that settles it. If God said it, I believe it, that settles it. It's mine. I know it's there. It's waiting for me. 
Then it says here in this first verse, it, faith is the evidence of things not seen. God has declared, and heaven's one of them, so we have a little crossover here. Heaven's something that we haven't seen. We haven't seen creation. We haven't seen God. We haven't seen the Lord Jesus Christ with our natural eyes. But we have evidence for heaven. We have evidence for creation. We have evidence for the existence of God and the Lord Jesus Christ by our faith. God made declarations in the Bible that the earth is 6,000 years old. That He created all things in heaven and in earth in six 24-hour days. God said it. Our faith lays hold of that and believes it and gives us the evidence of those facts. If God said it, that's as solid as evidence can ever be. If God said it. Now, Brother Jeff Oley, he's suggesting that we take our church funds and use them to buy an artifact that was uncovered this past week in the Middle East. This little artifact says it gives a clue to the history of the biblical figure of Goliath. And that if we could have that artifact here in our church and put it up here at the front in front of this pulpit where we could all rest, rest our eyes on it and touch it, we could pass by it when we went out the door after every service and pass by it when we came in and touch a little artifact about Goliath, that it would build our faith. I speak as a fool. And you know my brother a whole lot better than that. But here's the artifact. If we spent all that we had in our savings for as a church and got a little stone from the Middle East that said Goliath was a big man that lived in Gath, would it build our faith? How in the world could it build your faith? First of all, why would you believe that it was a stone from the Middle East? Why wouldn't you believe that one of the members of this church had done it in their backyard? Chiseled it into a stone. You would believe some scientist, some archaeologist, that found it more than the God of Heaven. What if three years later, he came out and said, I mistranslated it. And it says, I am an Egyptian, and it's 1948. What would happen to your faith? That little stone couldn't help us. If it helps your faith, you don't have real faith or you don't really understand yet what faith is. The only way that stone would mean anything to me is if this occurred. If I used my Strong's Concordance and looked up Goliath and found a verse that said, in the year 2005, I'm going to send you a stone and it's going to say Goliath on it, you can know that there was a real Goliath then I might believe the stone. But I would need a verse to help me believe the stone. Because to believe anything, I need God telling me it's true. Because the whole world is full of lies. They keep inventing things, finding things, and saying things. One one year they say that coffee's going to kill you. The next year it's good for you. One year, red wine's going to kill you. If you touch the devil's liquid, you're going to hell. The next year, the... Uh, Antioxidants that are in red wine are great for you. None of them know anything. But God knows everything. And His Word is what gives us faith. 
So when we read this first verse, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. God's promises are the basis for our hope because we believe Him. And God's declarations are the certain evidence of things that we have never seen because God said so. You know, God said throughout the Old Testament that there was a Hittite empire. Until 1950, no one in the world that was a pagan unbeliever, no archaeologist believed that there was a Hittite empire because they couldn't find any evidence of it. But after 1950, they dug up huge cities north of Canaan and in Turkey of the Hittite empire. That doesn't help my faith a bit. And if someone converted to Christianity because they found that, I would highly question their conversion. Because the next year they might find out that it's really Aztecs that were living a little ways from home. Because you're trusting men rather than God. This is our religion. We do have a religion of a book. God gave us His religion in writing. I'm so thankful that it's not oral tradition. I'm so thankful that it's not some tradition set up in practice. That it's mined out in front of us. I'm so thankful that it's not locked up in some treasury of a priestly caste. That we can't be part of. Our religion is in a book. He gave it to us in writing. He said, my book that I've given to you in writing is more sure than if I spoke to you from heaven. Are you willing to trust everything this Bible says? Everything that we have found in it is perfect wisdom. And I preached a whole series of messages to you a few years ago on why I believe the Bible. Can't do that right now. We're just going to believe it. Faith is the essence of our religion. God gives us the ability for faith when we're born again. But that faith is not exercised until we hear something for it to lay hold of. It's just laying there, lying there in our hearts until we hear some message from God that it can reach out and grab and turn into evidence and substance. And so we preach. And so we read. And so you hear. And our purpose right now is not any pastoral show. It's no entertainment. It's to look in the Word of God and see the examples of God's heroes, how they dealt with what He said and how it changed their lives so that He gave them a good report so that every one of us can have that good report. I want every one of you to have a good report. And this is a whole lot more important than some report card from school. This is God's good report. It says in the second verse, For by it, that is by faith, the elders obtained a good report. In the last verse, the next to last verse, verse 39, it says that it was by faith that they obtained a good report again. And in between are a whole lot of lessons for us. So our faith comes into existence by the Word of God. The more we learn about the Word of God, and the more we lay hold of it by faith, the stronger we'll be in faith. We can face anyone, anything, at any time. We'll mock death. The same way that 1 Corinthians 15 does. O death, where is thy sting? Because we will believe that the Lord Jesus Christ put away death with a sacrifice of Himself for our sins. O grave, where is thy victory? Our, my Lord Jesus Christ is the first fruits of them that slept. He tore the bars away and came out of the grave. You couldn't hold Him, but for the three days that He had already promised He'd stay there just to show everyone that He was dead. He came out of that grave and He went into heaven and He's not going to lose a single one. And that's what we believe and that's why we come together. 
And one of us, God has chosen to go next. And we are all going to go through this together. Whenever it occurs. And we are going to help and encourage and remember the great promises of God. Because He's going to see us all the way into heaven. Faith is the only way that we can please God. Verse 6 is going to tell us that. Faith is increased not by prosperity, but by difficulty. I wish faith was increased by prosperity, and I know you wish the same thing. I wish that the verse read, many are the blessings of the righteous. But it says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Because it is the trial of your faith that makes faith stronger. It's when human supports are being pulled away, and you put your trust in God in spite of human weakness, in spite of problems facing you, in spite of fear. It's true faith. So we read verses like this. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, that ye may be perfect, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Do you know what God can say that you're perfect? When you have enough faith that no matter what package of adversity He sends you, you still believe that He is God and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him and you are still joyful about life. If thou faintest in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. But do not let me beat you too hard with that because we're going to find some small strength heroes in Hebrews 11. But... Because they had momentary weakness does not give us the right to presume on that momentary weakness. We want to be strong in faith and not stagger at all. Let's look at this passage. It's an amazing chapter. I love this chapter. Hebrews 11. We have a definition of faith in the first verse. Then we have an explanation for what he's about to do in verse 2. For by it the elders obtained a good report. The elders were the elders of Israel. All the old patriarchs that had come before the New Testament. The world was 4,000 years old when Paul wrote Hebrews chapter 11. And he's going to cover 4,000 years of world history. He's going to say, by it the elders obtained a good report. And he doesn't just mean the elders under Moses, because he goes all the way back to the very beginning. Look at verse 3. He starts out with creation. He's going to cover 4,000 years of world history in Hebrews chapter 11. And he's going to do it all from the perspective of faith. How did the whole world get started? God created everything out of nothing, and through faith we understand that. And that's verse 3. So he takes us all the way back to the book of Genesis and the first couple of chapters, and that's where we know that God created everything out of nothing. In the beginning, God. That's all there was. Created. Then there were some other things. 4,000 years of world history. It doesn't start with Abraham. It doesn't start with Moses. It goes to Abel. It starts out at the very beginning and showing you that God has had men in the, in, all through history that have lived by faith. And do you know why chapter 11 is here? Is because in chapter 10 he said, My soul has no pleasure in those that draw back. The ju- Verse 38, The just shall live by faith. And he wants you and me to live by faith. So he's going to give us a whole chapter of examples of men and women living by faith. 
And he's going to start at the very beginning. And he starts with creation in verse 3. Because we've spent enough time on creation in the past, I'll not say any more about it. We understand creation because the Bible describes it to us and we believe the Bible. God told us how He created. We accept His words totally. And that's why we're creationists. We don't need any videos, although we watch them for entertainment. We don't need any scientific evidence to convince us of creation. You can't convince anyone scientifically of creation because no one was there to observe it. In the sixth grade, every one of you learned, although you forgot it probably the day you went, when you went home that afternoon, that in order for the scientific method to apply to anything, you've got to be able to observe it. Science only works on what it can observe. And guess what is true about creation? No one was there to observe it. So it's a matter of faith. And so that's verse 3. But let's jump into 4. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. There's one long sentence about Abel. Abel made a choice in his life, and that was to worship God the way that God had told him to worship him. Cain did not turn in to a devil-possessed murderer in one afternoon. Abel knew about Cain. Abel knew that Cain did not fear God like he did. But Abel did not fear that older brother of his at all. Abel was going to worship God the right way. And that is why we're particular about the way we worship God, because we want to be like Abel. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Abel's offering of blood was acceptable to God, and Cain's beautiful offering was not. Though Cain was the older brother, though Abel could have submitted to him as the older brother, though Cain's sacrifice was cleaner, and Abel could have submitted to that and said it's more politically correct not to kill little bleeding lambs. He didn't do anything like that. He took the best of his flock and offered it to the Lord. And he obtained a witness from God. Because where, where does God witness that Abel's sacrifice was acceptable and Cain's was not? Genesis chapter 4. God said he accepted Abel's and did not accept Cain's. And so he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts. God declared, I accept what you've done, Abel. I do not accept what Cain has done, and neither do I accept Cain. That's why we worship the way we do. You can have the purest heart possible and come and worship God. I don't want to say the purest heart possible, because that would make you like Asa, and Asa did have a few problems in his worship, and God accepted that. You could have a rather pure heart and worship God the wrong way and it will not be acceptable. David had a pretty pure heart when he was celebrating in a parade one time with the Ark of the Covenant, but he didn't do it the right way and God did not accept the parade. As you well know. And by it he being dead yet speaketh. Though Abel was killed by Cain, does he still have a reputation for 6,000 years in the history of the world? Is he still speaking to us? He is still speaking to us because He's written about in Genesis chapter 4 and we find ourselves of a kindred spirit with Him because there have been others that have have hated us for the way we've tried to worship God. 
He's still speaking, though he's been dead for 6,000 years. Because he's described in Genesis, and here he is described again in Hebrews chapter 11. Do you allow the pressure of others, or what everyone else is doing, to influence your thoughts at all? Should we think about sitting down together and changing our church constitution to read that we ought to sprinkle children? Since 95% of the rest of Christians do that. Are we going to stick with the Word of God? Just like Abel. Are we going to get some of Cain's musical instruments in here so that we can worship God the way everyone else is? Yes, go read Genesis chapter 4 and see where musical instruments came from. They came from Cain's family line in that particular period of history. We're not going to do that. We're going to stick with what the New Testament tells us. We're going to sing. God told Abel to bring a certain kind of offering, and he did. And we want to be just like Abel because he did that by faith. That's how Abel got his good report from the Lord. Because when he was in a fearful situation where there was pressure on him to compromise, he wouldn't. Verse 5, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Methuselah died in the year of the flood. That poses some interesting thoughts. Did he die of a heart attack or did he die from drowning? Methuselah was Enoch's son. Enoch had Methuselah when he was 65 years old, then lived another 300 years. You say, what does that have to do with this verse? It has this to do with it. Enoch lived 669 years before the flood. That's 549 years before God told Noah that he was going to drown the earth. God described the earth as a very wicked place in those days. The thoughts of men's minds were evil continually from their youth. But we find a man in an evil generation that walked with God because he had this testimony that he pleased God. Enoch was not afraid of anyone, and Enoch lived a different lifestyle and separated himself from the rest of this world. And God said of Enoch, he doesn't deserve to die. Through my mercy that is in Christ Jesus, he'll be one of my two examples that I'll just simply take into heaven, and he was translated and was not found. His wife went looking for him, and his children went looking for him, and they couldn't find him because he flat out disappeared. And he went straight into heaven and was in the presence of God. God translated him. We read, we read that. It, that's a piece of history. Right. Listen, how far back do your history books go? I mean, with real evidence. Those of you that are taking history, they don't have anything that goes back 6,000 years. Everything beyond 4,000 years is pure speculation on their part. But 6,000 years ago, 5,000, when Enoch was living, he disappeared off of the planet and went straight into heaven. Do you know how I know that? Because of Hebrews 11.5 and Genesis chapter 4 and 5. I don't have a single doubt about that. I have evidence for it. Because the God of heaven wrote it down in an official document. 
But how did, he get, how did God do something so great for Enoch? He had this testimony that he pleased God. Amen. He lived a life that pleased God. He thought thoughts that pleased God. He honored his parents. Were his parents alive? <laughs> for how many generations? He had about seven sets of grandparents alive. If you remember how long they lived back then, he honored his parents. When he spoke, his words were always gracious and only seasoned with salt. He said good things. He was cheerful and thankful. He was happy. And he praised the Lord for all that he had done and for his marvelous works. His great-grandpa Adam told him about creation. His great-grandpa Seth told him other stories. And he knew all those things and he pleased God in his life. God took him straight into heaven. How did he do it? Verse 6 is going to tell you how to be like Enoch. Don't ever forget that verse 6 is a context. Every verse in the Bible has a context of some sort. Verse 6 is where it is for you to know how you can be like Enoch. Because verse 5 ends with, because he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. For, the, for a normal Christian to read Hebrews 11.5, you want to be like Enoch. Yeah. The Lord knew that. You want to approach God and seek God and pursue God the way Enoch did. And so the Lord tells you how to do it in verse 6 because it serves His purpose of faith. But without faith, it's impossible to please Him. If you want to be like Enoch, then you need to live your life believing that God is at all times. And that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Not of them that sometimes seek Him, but of those that diligently seek Him. Verse 6 is describing those that come to God. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is. It's describing men, women, boys and girls that want to be like Enoch. And you get like Enoch by practicing verse 6. That you can have a testimony that you pleased God by believing that God is at all times. And that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Which gives you all the motive in the world to always be diligently seeking Him and obeying Him. Because you know He's going to reward it. And you do it by faith. I believe there's a God. And I believe everything He has said in the Bible is true. I believe all His promises and it gives me certain hope. I believe all His declarations and it gives me certain evidence. I believe all His commandments and it gives me a certain lifestyle. And so we humble ourselves before the Word of God and we obey it. And you can be like Enoch. You say to me, could he? Would he? Might he? Well, you're going to have to take that up with him. I can't answer if he might take you to heaven like he took Enoch. He says it is appointed to men once to die, but when we read that, we know there are two exceptions, don't we? But do you know what? He'll make your passing through the curtain of death so easy that you'll think you're Enoch if you please him. Verse 7, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet. There's certain words in these verses that you want to grab and highlight and think about. It says that Noah was told about things not seen as yet. 
had Noah seen a good rainstorm yet? Or did a mist go up from the garden and come up from the earth and water everything? He hadn't seen a rainstorm yet, and God's telling him it's going to rain for a while. It's going to rain heavy for a long while. It's going to flood the earth. But what does faith do with things that it's never seen before? It has the evidence that they're going to happen, doesn't it? Because God said it, so Noah believed it. That settled it. Because it says, by faith Noah. There's his believing. That's why that middle clause in that little statement is important when we're dealing in Hebrews 11. Because Noah said, God said it. Family, I believe it. That settles it. Tomorrow morning, you boys, we're going to go outside and start working on the ark. We're going to lay out some strings 450 feet long. And we're going to start building the ark. Women, you're going to have to take care of all the duties at home and supply us with food. It's going to take us a little while to build this boat. It's got to have three stories. And it's got to hold all the creatures in the world, male and female, and seven of all the clean animals, and food for a year. And he went to, and he went to do it. He had never seen it rain. You know, we've had a few floods that we could believe in such a thing as a flood, but he'd never seen a flood. And that's why he's a great example of faith. In Hebrews 11.7, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear. Moved. Faith works. Faith does things. Faith moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Brethren, is our lives much different than Noah's? There's warnings in Scripture that are going to affect our families. The Bible says if we're a friend of the world, we're the enemy of God. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is coming with flaming fire and His mighty angels to take vengeance on this world. Are we warning our household about that day? Are we warning this household of faith called our church about that day? We need to move with fear and prepare ourselves to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. We live in the perilous times of the last days. What are you doing as families to oppose the perilous times of the last days? We have our own warnings. We look out there, and what the Lord warns us about are all the pretty, happy Christians of the world. And the Lord warns us that that is the greatest danger you face in the 21st century. Do we believe that and do we move with fear and prepare to save our families and to save our church? We can be like Noah. Noah had never seen it before, but if God said it, he believed it, and that settled it. There was a flood coming. He better build a seaworthy boat. And he did. He saved his family. It doesn't tell us about the faith of Mrs. Noah anywhere in the Bible. It doesn't tell us about the faith of Shem, Ham, or Japheth or their missuses anywhere in the Bible. It tells us about the faith of Noah. And Noah is one of the five great men. He preserved the human race alive in a boat for a year because he had faith that God was going to do what he said and that a warning of Scripture should be taken very, very seriously. Do you know how many Proverbs I write with warnings? I'm getting down toward the end of the Proverbs project. It's going to take a couple more months. But the verses that are left, and I wrote one this week, 
about how the lives of the wicked are shortened and the lives of the righteous are extended. And I cannot believe the number of times that warning is listed in the book of Proverbs and repeated over and over in different words. Does that sober us up at all or do we blow over the words? Noah believed those words that God gave him and moved with fear. Let's go to verse 8. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should have to receive for an inheritance, obeyed. That's what faith does. It obeys. If God said it, let's do it. Now. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Here's Abraham being called by God to go out into a place he'd never been to before. Some of you are going to be called to do things that you've never been there before. You're going to have children. You've never had one before. Some of you young couples. It's going to be scary the first time. <laughs> and the second and the seventh. It's going to, you've never been there before. But you're going to trust God to lead you through it because He's given you a child training manual. Women that are raised in the world that they need to defend themselves by requiring that their husband treat them as an equal partner in a marriage... If they're Christians, they're going to look at the Bible and say, I've got to go into marriage promising Him that I'm going to obey Him and submit to Him and reverence Him as my husband. And it's scary for a woman. She's going someplace she's never been before. You mean all my desires are going to have to be subordinate to His desires? That sounds That's a good paraphrase of Genesis 3.16. Yes. So how does she do it? She does it by faith. She goes out into a place she's never been before because she trusts God to take care of her. This applies to everything. Do you know we could take each of these verses and preach a sermon? And, and work Abraham in verses 8, 9, and 10 about going into some place we've never been before? we got a brother in the back who's in a state that he's never lived in before. A number of us are in a state that we hadn't lived in before until we came here. But we did it by faith. We were trusting God to take care of us. Look at this poor man. As soon as God told him to leave, he went. Now, did he go perfectly the way the Lord told him to? No. Who did he haul along with him because he was a little homesick? He hauled his father along with him. If we went back and read Genesis 11 and 12, we would learn that. That he took his father along with him and he had to stop in a place called Haran. And what happened there? Well, it was named Haran. Because his father died. God took his father. And then he came on into the land of Canaan. It was a several hundred mile journey. 500 miles. From Mesopotamia, which is now Iraq, into the land of Canaan. And he didn't know where God was going to lead him. And he was 75 years old. He had a good life in Ur of the Chaldeans. He didn't live in a tent there. He had a house. And for the next hundred years, do you know what he lived in? Tents. That's why the emphasis is on the tabernacles that he, Isaac, and Jacob had to live in. They had to live in tents. He had to be a nomad for a hundred years. And then he died. And he never owned any property. Not enough to put the sole of his foot on, as Stephen preaches in Acts chapter 7. That is how much Abraham trusted God. 
He wandered around for a hundred years living in a tent, unable to have a final resting place or a home of his own or, or an estate to give to his son Isaac or to his grandson Jacob. It tells us why. Because he sojourned in the land of promises in a strange country. Canaan wasn't what he was really looking for. He was looking for something different. It says he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He was looking for a city better than anything Canaan could offer, and that city is heaven. Abraham waited a hundred years for heaven, wandering around in a tent. And he did it by faith. And we have this example right here in Hebrews 11 for us. Because God's going to ask you to do things at times that you don't know where you're going. All the way from California to the state of South Carolina. What part of South Carolina are you going to be living in? I don't know. I haven't even checked. A member of our church once said to someone asking her where she was moving. And when you're a single widow woman, that's a good question that they asked her. What part of South Carolina are you going to be living in? And she said, I don't know. I haven't even looked. Because all she cared about was a city that had foundations as far as this earth is concerned. And she's looking beyond that to the city in heaven. And so are we all. Oh, what a wonderful example for us. You say, I'd get frustrated with the Lord after a year in a tent. Well, he was in him for a hundred. And he didn't get frustrated with the Lord. By faith, Abraham obeyed. We come to verse 11. You've got to lay hold of some of these examples. Right. Which one do you want to be like? Which one do you want to exceed in faith? Verse 11, Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one, speaking of Abraham, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. Sarah believed that God was faithful to what he had promised, and that she was going to have a son by Abraham, and that, that, and that seed turned into an innumerable company. Now, just chase this little rabbit with me. This innumerable company, and this multitude that is like the sand which is by the seashore innumerable, Is that the nation of Israel? Or was that the Israel of God? Amen. Israel of God. Just like the land of promise was heaven, this multitudinous seed that, was un, that couldn't be numbered is all the elect of God that are the true seed of Abraham because they're in Jesus Christ who is the true seed of Abraham. But back to Sarah. What did Sarah do the first time she heard that she was going to have a son in her old age and nurse a baby again? She laughed. Are you thankful that Sarah is in Hebrews 11? Do you know that's a little comfort for our weak faith at times? She was weak in the beginning. But I want to say something. Who laughed before Sarah laughed? If you go read the account in Genesis. Abraham laughed before Sarah laughed. Neither of them believed when they first heard it that they were going to have a baby. And you can imagine why. I mean, they're both sitting in wheelchairs on their front porch with an oxygen hose at their nose, and the Lord says you're going to have a baby about this time next year. (laughs) They laughed. 
But you know what? As soon as they got to get, you know, that was the Lord, Sarah. Do you know when he asked who just laughed inside the tent and I had to tell him? I mean, he told, and he told that it was you? That was the Lord. Do you know what? It sounds crazy. And everybody's going to think we're crazy if we told them. So we're not going to tell very many people we're going to have a baby next year. You want to take a nap? I hope you can follow me. If you can't, you're a very boring congregation. That's Abraham and Sarah. There's comfort, brethren. Abraham laughed and Sarah laughed. But after their laughter died away and they thought about that was God that told us that, let's believe it. Let's believe it. And they believed it. And look what God blessed them with. The, the father of the faithful, he's an example to us. He's, re, he's quoted so many times in the Bible. He's described so many times in the Bible as such a great example of faith. Let's come to verse 13. These all died in faith. Who's been mentioned so far? Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and Jacob. These all died in faith. There are some words to lay hold of. Are we going to be able to die in faith? They died in faith. Abraham had wandered for a hundred years. And he died in faith. He knew where he was going. He knew he was going to the real Canaan. The real promised land. A real city that hath foundations whose builder and maker is God, as verse 10 described. These all died in faith. Not having received the promises but having seen them afar off, they saw through a hundred years of time and then into eternity that there was a city that God had promised them. And brethren, God has promised each one of you that city if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. God has promised you that city. They saw it afar off. Now, could they really see it? Or did they see it by faith Because faith is the evidence of things not seen. They couldn't see heaven, but they could see heaven. Can you see heaven? No and yes. Are you with me? They could see heaven. Having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them. They were persuaded. The evidence of faith was strong persuasion to them. It wasn't just some bare hope. I hope there's a heaven. Oh no, they were persuaded there was a heaven. Look at the words the apostle uses. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. It did not happen during their lifetimes. They had to die. As great of a man as Abraham was, as great as Isaac was, Jacob and Sarah, they had to die. But they died in faith because they saw the promises afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them. Thank you, Lord. For that thing I can see way out there by faith that you have heaven for me. They loved that promise. They believed it. They embraced it. They took it to themselves. They laid hold of it. They said, that's mine. I can die in peace because I'm going to go into the city that God has built for me. They embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. It changed their lifestyle. It changed their lifestyle. It changed their worldview. Their worldview was this place is just a passing place. I'm just a sojourner here. I'm just on a 100-year vacation because my real home is in heaven. And they embraced it. No one has ever embraced a promise of God and ever been denied. Ever. 
Because no one but a child of God ever embraces the promises of God. Those men in Matthew 7, and never let them frighten you. Those men in Matthew 7 that say, Lord, Lord, they're not embracing any promises. They're embracing themselves. They're making love to themselves by telling the Lord how great they are and that He owes them heaven. No, you embrace the promise. No one has ever been turned away. Him that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. Him that believeth on me shall not be confounded. Him that believeth on me shall never be ashamed. Do you believe those things? Embrace the promise. Even though it's a long ways away, it was a hundred years away. For Abraham, it's not a hundred years away for anyone in this room. It's a whole lot closer than that. Look at that. They were persuaded of them. They embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. All of a sudden, this world didn't mean anything to them. It changed their lifestyle. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Jacob, by their lifestyle, just moving around in tents, were saying, this world ain't nothing. We don't need a foundation. We don't need a basement. We don't need a car. We don't need a slab. We don't need any of that stuff. Because this world doesn't matter to us. We're going to heaven. They that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. It it was obvious in their lives that they were looking outside of this world. Are you all with me on this? And the practical lesson, it changed their lives. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. If they really wanted a house with a basement and a solid foundation... They could have gone back to Ur of the Chaldees and had a real house and had a real city. But that's not the house or city they were looking for. Paul is covering every angle. They were looking outside this world. And those are the greatest men in the history of the world. They're the ones that have a good report from the God of heaven. They look outside this world to the city that is waiting for them. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Isn't that wonderful? If there weren't many mansions, I would have told you that it was a pitiful place and it wouldn't have room for you. But it's got plenty of room for you. And I'm coming again for you. And I will take you to be with me forever. It's a promise of God. Do you know what death is? It's a departure from your vacation to go to a city that you're going to live in forever. Peter said, now is my departure at hand. That's all death is, is a departure. To leave this world where we're just passing through to go to one that we're going to be in forever. Believest thou this? But now, verse 16, but now they desire a better country. They didn't want to go back to Ur of the Chaldeans, though they call that place the, the origin of civilization and all the advancements in the world were there in Mesopotamia in the beginning. They desire a better country, that is, an heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He hath prepared for them a city. They were looking for heaven. And God wasn't ashamed of those children because they had faith in their Father. Verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, this is when God tempted him, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. 
God asked Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac to me. There's two things at play here. One, a father's love for his only begotten son. Isaac was 16 years old, and he was the son of his wife Sarah in her old age. A father's heart toward his son. How could Abraham saddle up his asses, take some wood, and head up a mountain, and have his son say, Father, where's the sacrifice? And his father know what he was going to have to do. And then to bind his son, Father, why are you doing this? Father, why are you binding me up? And the old man put his son on that altar and raised his knife to kill his son. That is faith. And if you've been brought up in some sick part of this world where you think that disciplining a child is wrong, read the Bible. The Bible says over and over and over again, if you love your children, you will use a rod to conform them to the will of God and to drive the foolishness out of them. Now, sometimes for someone who's been trained poorly, the first time they spank a young child, they feel about as torn up as Abraham killing Isaac. It's not even close, but in their minds it is. Do you know what? You better step out by faith. A child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame, but the rod and reproof bring wisdom. So, see, we face these choices all the time. He pulled a knife to kill his own son, and God stopped him. Let me tell you about Abraham's faith. He had two things working against him. He loved Isaac. And Isaac was asking questions because the Bible lets us in. Enough into the picture that Isaac was asking questions. The second thing is God had said it was through that son that he was going to have that great seed. So he had a physical love for Isaac and he had a spiritual recognition that Isaac's the one. And God wants me to kill him? He never hesitated. What time of day did he get up? Early in the morning. Now if you go watch Hollywood's version of the Bible... I think it's called the Ten Commandments. You will see Abraham go through a temper tantrum because no one in Hollywood understands even the least concept of what's in the Bible. There isn't a single man that lives in that city that has faith. Go watch their version. Abraham didn't throw a temper tantrum. Abraham rose up early in the morning. He did not wait. He did not delay. He went out to do what God had told him to do. And do you know what he was thinking? as he raised that knife, and he was going to kill him. God said, Now I know that thou fearest me, because you were not going to withhold your son from me. Abraham was going to kill Isaac, because he reasoned this way. If God said, Isaac is where my seed's going to come from, then God's going to raise him from the dead. I can just go ahead and plunge this knife right through him. Overcoming all the human emotion, and overcoming all the spiritual doubt, Because he knew that was the promised seed. Is that a man of great faith? Early in the morning, answering his son's questions and pulling the knife. Accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. From whence also he received him in a figure. It was as if he had been dead. Do you trust God that much? That God is able to do great things if you will keep His Word. It applies to everything in your life. Do it God's way and He will bless you. 
you try to cheat and think that you can do it better in any way, you are only going to cheat yourself. You try to save your life, you'll lose it. If you'll lose your life in obeying Him in all parts, you will find your life. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. You can go read that in the book of Genesis about the future that Isaac foretold for both of his sons and their huge families. By faith, Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph. Joseph came into his father Jacob, and Joseph had two sons. And he led them up to Jacob so that the oldest son would get the right hand, and the second, the youngest son would get the left hand. And Jacob switched his hands and blessed the younger one, Ephraim, over the older one, Manasseh, and then made them two tribes in the nation of Israel with an Egyptian priestess's daughter for a mother. By faith, Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. And you can read in Genesis chapter 49 about him blessing each one of his sons about their future for generations to come, including the Lord Jesus Christ out of that fourth son, Judah. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel. Now, now wait, 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 wait a minute. Made mention of the departing of the children of Israel. The children of Israel didn't depart from Egypt until 200 years after Joseph. How could he make mention of it? Because God had said the land of Canaan was Abraham's. He knew they had to get back there. And so he makes mention of it to the children of Israel and gives commandment concerning his bones. When I die, you make sure you keep my bones and get them out of this dirty place because I want to be buried in Canaan because you're all going back there. But it didn't happen for 200 years. By faith. Because God had said it. Do You know, there's promises. God told Abraham, you're going to be sojourners for 400 years. 200 in the land of Canaan and 250, don't worry about it now. 215 exactly in Egypt. You're going to be sojourners, but you're going to come back to the land of Canaan. Joseph had heard about those words from his father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he believed them, and he makes mention of the departing of Israel. Moses was raised up in Pharaoh's household. He had every pleasure that heart could know, could imagine. He had as the grandson of Pharaoh. He left it all for something that he saw in in the distance. It says in the last part of verse 26, he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. He weighed everything. He saw the reward of pleasing God out in the future, just like Abraham did. He saw that. Then he weighed all the pleasures of Egypt and suffering affliction with the people of God and taking care of them for 40 years. He saw all that and he said, this is nothing. I'll take suffering affliction with the people of God because that's what lines up with my eternal possession in heaven. He had respect unto the recompense of the reward. The reward God was going to give was far greater than anything Pharaoh could give, and Pharaoh could give him anything that anyone on earth would want. And we have three verses there about Moses. Verse 27, By faith he forsook Egypt when Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should serve him? He took the whole nation out of Egypt and was not afraid of the king. It says he didn't fear the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. How did Moses endure with Pharaoh saying, I'm not going to let my, your people go? How could Moses handle that? 
Because he saw him who is invisible. The invisible God was seen by Moses by faith. By faith. Through faith, he kept the Passover. He had never heard about a Passover before. He had never heard about every family killing a lamb, putting its blood in a bowl, and putting that blood around the doorway. And he especially didn't see how that blood could keep the angel of the Lord out of the house at night from killing the firstborn in the land of Israel. By faith. If God said that's what he needed to do, then he believed it. And so there they all are, every household. There were 600,000 footmen cutting a lamb's throat, letting out its blood, putting it in a bowl, putting it around the door frame of their houses. And he did it anyway. And children, we may do some things that you think are strange sometimes, but all we're doing is following the Bible. It's very important to us to follow the Bible. It was very important to Moses because that night, the angel of the Lord went into every nursery in every house in the land of Egypt and killed the firstborn in every family. From the poorest slaves in Egypt to Pharaoh on his throne. But not a one was touched among the Israelites. We left out Moses' parents, didn't we? Was that a woman of great faith who was able to put her beautiful little boy in a little basket and float him out on a river? Who was going to take care of him if she did that? The Lord was. Oh, there's so many more here. Verse 29, the Israelites passed through the Red Sea. And it says they did it by faith. What was their first response when they saw the Red Sea? And there was Pharaoh's army coming at full speed behind them. Did they say, Lord, we believe? Or did they say, Moses, why would you bring us out here to kill us? We would have enjoyed dying in our beds back in Egypt. Weak, weren't they? But I'll tell you something. God said, Moses, get your rod out. And the wind blew all night. And the morning, there was water stacked higher than you have ever seen it or imagined it on both sides. And did they walk down into it? That was faith, brethren. They went into the middle of the Red Sea with water towering on both sides of them, and they were not afraid. They went by faith. The Egyptians went by faith too. But their faith didn't work because they got to the middle, and the Lord looked into the midst of the host and troubled them. I love our God and all that He does. I love verse 29 because I can imagine the first time I saw the Red Sea and heard the ground shaking from a thousand chariots, it would have been a little nerve-wracking. But then when, when the Lord opened up and stacked that water, they went down into it. They get to Jericho. Forty years later, of course, they don't mention that example of no faith. Forty years later, they get to Jericho, and God says, uh, march around it and blow on your trumpets. It's very effective as a military strategy. Can you imagine the taunts that were coming from the walls about the third day or the fourth day as this journey around the city of Jericho hadn't accomplished a single thing? Can you imagine in their hearts that maybe they were wondering, is anything going to happen? And then the seventh day, they've made it around six times and not a thing has happened. How much do you trust God? My whole purpose this morning is do you have faith in the God of the Bible? Do you have faith in the things that God has said? What God has said to do, do them. They work. Amen. 
those priests raised that trumpet one more time and blasted on that trumpet and the people gave a shout. And I want to tell you, Hiroshima and Nagasaki hadn't seen such destruction because they went in and took that whole city of Jericho because the Lord was with them. And they had done it just the way he said. By faith, there was one woman in that city, and she was a prostitute. And there is comfort to everyone here this morning that's a sinner. By faith, a sinner that doesn't have the right pedigree and doesn't have the right profession. I know that your God is a God of gods. And the whole land of Canaan is trembling because of your God. Will you have mercy on my family? And while that whole city fell flat and all the wall around it, one house stood and she was a prostitute. Is God merciful? Do you love the God of heaven? Is He looking for perfect people? He's looking for great sinners so that He can show Himself a perfect Savior. And He saved Rahab because by faith, the harlot, notice it wants to remind you, it doesn't just say by faith Rahab. It says by faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. And what shall I more say? And he gives a whole string here. Gideon, how many did he get to take against the Midianites who were as the sandwiches by the seashore? 300. Barak, how many did he get to take against the Canaanites that had 900 chariots and an innumerable host? 10,000 from two tribes, Naphtali and Zebulun. He couldn't tap the resources of Judah. And who did he have to take with him? Deborah. Did the Lord give him a great victory? Yes, because Barak said, I won't go unless you go with me, Deborah. Deborah said, fine, I'll go with you. But this battle's the honor of it's going to be given to a woman. And who was it given to? Jail. You remember well. Barak had great faith to take on a huge army with only 10,000. Samson. Samson? You mean the man who couldn't leave his Philistine whores? The man who wouldn't marry an Israelite girl? You mean that Samson? Yeah, he was a weak man. But I, I want to tell you something. You better not presume on his weakness to justify your sin. I'll tell you something about him. The Philistines came to the men of Judah and said, Bind Samson so that we can have him. The men of Judah came up and said, Will you let us bind you? Sure, no problem. They tied him all up, and there he is tied. And here come a thousand Philistines. They're special forces. They had green, green beanies on top, and they surrounded him. They were the best of the best. They were looking for just one good man, but they had a thousand of them. And, and Samson stands there all bound up. Good morning, guys. Who are you looking for? And they're looking for Samson. And the Spirit of the Lord came on him. And he flexed. And all the ropes burst off. And he looked around. He couldn't find anything but a dried out old jawbone of an ass. It's only about so long. But it's got a nice little feel to it on one end and a little club at the other. Just feel your own jawbone. And he worked pretty hard that morning. And he killed 1,000 of those Philistines with a jawbone of an ass by faith. No, Samson is in here because he had faith. And when he was done, his hand had cramped up around the thing and he had to peel his fingers off it. And he said, Lord, I'm so thirsty. Give me some water or I'm going to perish. 
And he's holding a garden hose the next minute. And the water's flooding out and he drinks by faith. Don't forget, Samson had faith. Can we bind you and deliver you to the Philistines? Sure. Don't worry, guys. I'm not going to get you in trouble. Go ahead and tie me as tight as you can. Because he had faith in God. Don't forget that about Samson. Did he have his problems? (laughs) He had severe problems. But the Lord's merciful, isn't he? Are you glad that there's an Abraham that laughed in here? A Sarah that laughed in here? Are you glad about a Rahab that's in here? Are you glad about a nation of Israel that was afraid to go through the Red Sea when they first saw it? Are you glad there's a Samson in here? Are you glad there's a David in here? I'm very glad. Are you glad? Jephthah didn't have a very good beginning, did he? What was he called? He was a bastard because he was an illegitimate son by a prostitute. The Lord wrought great victory with him. And we could go on down through it. It says they subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. You know who that is, don't you? That's Daniel. Quenched the violence of fire. Who's that? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Escaped the edge of the sword. And it goes on. There's, there's in verse 35, women received their dead raised to life again. Remember the woman of Shunem? Who had her son raised to life again? Because she had faith. As soon as the boy, my head, my head, and fell down dead, what did she ask her husband to do? Go get the best doctor? Husband, can we dip into savings and get the best physicians? Husband, may I have permission to go find the man of God? And when she got her servants, what did she say? Go slow, go medium, or go fast? Go fast. She wanted the man of God. And the man of God raised her son. Do you have faith this morning? Do you have faith in everything that God has said? Is your hope solidly established on all of His promises? That there's a heaven and this earth is nothing. Do you believe all his declarations? So what he says about the preservation of scripture or the creation of the world, do you believe it with certain evidence, evidence that it's true? What he says, is it so important to you that you will move with fear and keep all of his commandments? Because if God said to do it, not doing it's going to bring judgment and punishment and trouble. Doing it is going to bring the recompense of the reward. How does God increase your faith? He is going to bring tribulations into your life. Are you ready for them? He's going to bring difficulties. You're going to require patience. But that's a perfect man, a man who has trust in God and is able to patiently trust the Lord to take care of him, even though the difficulties are staring him in the face. Do you have that kind of faith? If everything was going well for you, you wouldn't have to believe on God. It's when God pulls the rug out from underneath you that you have to believe on Him. That's why He brings those things. Is your trust in the Lord this morning. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. By it, we can please God and be like Enoch. May the Lord bless us in life or in death, in promises, declarations, or commandments, to be men and women of faith. Amen.